Hi, welcome to History and Guitar. For a while now, I've wanted to make some educational content on ancient history, and I hope that the addition of some quiet underlying guitar playing and original jams will give these videos a relaxing, radio-like experience to either watch or listen to. These videos are intended for a wide audience, so I will do my best to quickly explain or catch up those who don't have a prior education on certain topics. So in this video, I will be talking about the life of Nabonidus. Nabonidus was the last king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. He reigned between 556 and 539 BCE, and was likely born in the beginning of the 6th century BCE. The end of his reign in 539 is when legendary Persian ruler Cyrus the Great conquers the city of Babylon, beginning a 200-year tenure of the city as part of the Achaemenid Persian Empire. Nabonidus' placement in such a pivotal point in written history makes him a fascinating figure. First, I'd like to give a brief crash course on the city of Babylon and the empires that occupied it until the time of Nabonidus. So the Neo-Babylonian Empire is named as such because it was centered in the city of Babylon. The Neo means that there was an older Babylonian Empire. The distinction in history books is to show a discontinuation between the two empires. The first Babylonian Empire ruled the city and its surroundings from 1894 till about 1595 BCE. The Neo-Babylonian Empire's rule is written from 626 to 539 BCE. The near 1,000 year gap between these two periods marked the time of non-native rule of the city, first from the Hittites, who were native to modern-day Turkey, then the Assyrians, who were native to what is today northern Iraq. Babylon is further south in Iraq, seated next to the famous Euphrates River. It is only within the two Babylonian periods that the city was ruled by kings somewhat native to this region. The city's nature to change ruling hands while still maintaining some cultural continuity in name and foundations implies that the city was of great importance. In the time of the first Babylonian Empire, the city had defined itself as a center of culture and learning where astronomers accurately recorded the movements of the stars, and artists and architects created fantastical monuments and works to the gods. Due to its cosmopolitan nature, the city not only brought minds from many parts of the Near East, but also their differing religious beliefs as well. Babylon may be one of the first examples in recorded history of a city creating a truly multicultural environment where rulers had to find unique and new ways to appease the varying wants and needs of its many different citizens. In the time of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, rulers like Nabonidus had to navigate a complex, polytheistic religious and political environment. They had to show respect to the varying religious figures of different city districts while still maintaining order and subordination from the people. Rulers needed to participate in many different religious ceremonies to different gods at different temples. Most importantly, they needed to create, through some cultural narrative, a level of closeness to each god that validated the position of the Babylonian king or queen. However, that doesn't mean that rulers didn't have preferences in their own beliefs. Nabonidus' mother, Adagope, was a priestess to the moon god Sin, and instilled in Nabonidus a love and preference for the moon god above any other, including the most dominant and beloved god of the city, Marduk. The worship of Marduk seemed more native to the people of Babylon, whereas the moon god Sin seemed to be more popular farther north in the region called Haran. 
Haran is located in southern Turkey, far north from Babylon. Haran was the birthplace of Atagope, and likely the birthplace of her son Nabonidus as well. This would make Nabonidus a non-native ruler of Babylon, even while still ruling under the same empire as previous Neo-Babylonian kings, like the famous Nebuchadnezzar II. This foreign flavor to Nabonidus seemed to greatly affect the decisions he made during his rule, trying to consolidate his own beliefs and preference for the god Sin with the more local beliefs that involved worshipping Marduk. Sometime during his reign, Nabonidus left Babylon for the oasis town known as Tama, found in modern-day Saudi Arabia. Tama is just over 1,000 kilometers southwest of Babylon, a trip that would have taken weeks on foot or camel and through harsh desert conditions. It isn't certain why Nabonidus left or why he chose to go to Tama. Some believe he was exiled there by the high priests of Marduk due to religious differences, while others believe he may have been ill and chose to go there for his health. One of the more intriguing possibilities is that Nabonidus left to conduct an archaeological dig at Tama. If this were the case, this may be the first known archaeological dig in history. So what would Nabonidus hope to find in a place so far from Babylon? Perhaps the religious atmosphere of the city motivated Nabonidus, hoping to find some ancient relic that he could use to bolster the narrative that he was the divinely chosen ruler of Babylon. This could be the remedy to the protests of the local Marduk priesthood who may have seen Nabonidus as an outsider and unfit for the throne. One odd and amusing anecdote that supports this idea involves a strange Babylonian religious ritual. This ritual involved the king kneeling before a statue of Marduk, removing his royal crown and clothes so he were dressed as any ordinary man. Then he was to be slapped by a high priest as hard as they could, so hard that the king should weep. It was said that only if the king wept would Marduk look favorably on his Babylonian subjects. Reasonably so, Nabonidus did not want to get slapped really hard and possibly caused a great strain on the relationship between him and the powerful Babylonian priesthood. As a side note, maybe the reigning high priest at that time was particularly yoked in the arms. You know, the George Foreman of slaps. One slap man. So if Nabonidus could find and draw some ancient connection possibly between the moon god Sin or past ancient rulers of the region, he could finally be recognized as the rightful king of Babylon and not get slapped. The idea that Nabonidus may have been trying to bolster his political status through history and archaeology is also fascinating because there are many parallels to this found later in history and in the present. Aligning your lineage with the legacy of a past civilization is a clever tactic and proves archaeology is a powerful tool for creating narratives. Over time, the legend and romance of a past civilization grows as its real, multifaceted human history dies off into mystery and legend. That mystery is rife for making connections, legitimate or otherwise, through archaeology and the output of public information. Dictators like Mussolini and Hitler utilized archaeology and restorative construction projects to bolster their connection and supposed legitimacy of purpose with the ancient history of Europe. This in itself is a wild and interesting subject that I can get into in another video, so this one isn't too long. But for now, let's get back to Nabonidus. 
Largely what we know about Nabonidus is due to his placement in history next to the significant figure Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great is an iconic and legendary figure in Iranian history and was the founder of the first Persian Empire, known as the Achaemenids. The Persians originated further east, in modern-day Iran. Cyrus's conquests and accumulation of Near Eastern powers means that Nabonidus' story does not end in glory, at least not for him. It is unclear the final state of Nabonidus, whether he perished at the hands of the Persians or not, but we do know he lost Babylon to Cyrus. Cyrus was known to spare kings whose kingdoms he conquered, so some believe he was sent east to live the rest of his life in a far-off Persian province. The main source of information on the conflict between Cyrus and Nabonidus come from the Nabonidus Chronicle, a cuneiform tablet from a larger series of tablets called the Babylonian Chronicles. The Nabonidus Chronicle records year by year the reign of Nabonidus, the fall of Babylon to Cyrus, and the reign of Cyrus's son Cambyses. While it is considered the most reliable and invaluable source of information on Nabonidus, it is worth mentioning the bias that may exist within it. These tablets may have originally been written by the priests of Marduk, who as we have already discussed, may have had an inherent bias against Nabonidus. The Cyrus Cylinder, another cuneiform object written by the priesthood, chronicles Cyrus's reception as he first entered Babylon. They depict his arrival as being met with a warm welcome of gratitude and joy, implying that Nabonidus was a cruel, unfit leader who was being replaced by the great Cyrus. Another cuneiform cylinder, likely from the priesthood as well, and known as the Nabonidus Cylinder, compares very harshly the virtues and power of Cyrus to the vices and supposed horrors done by Nabonidus. Its comparison between the two kings meant it must have been written during or shortly after the time of Cyrus, and it seems to have been made to bolster Cyrus's new reign in Babylon. From what can still be read of the cylinder, the insults are harsh, not only criticizing and painting Nabonidus' reign as violent and tyrannical, but even criticizing his ability to write in cuneiform and calling him a liar and madman who misinterprets religious signs and insults the priesthood. If we assume that all this material was indeed written by the priesthood of Marduk, then it is clear that Cyrus succeeded where Nabonidus failed in pleasing the powerful religious entities of Babylon. By scapegoating Nabonidus, Cyrus won the approval of the priesthood, thus cementing his kingship over the most grand city in the Near East. So that's the story of Nabonidus and the fall of Babylon. Nabonidus' story is an example of how the victors write history, and how leaders themselves attempt to use history to legitimize their rule. In the end, Cyrus succeeded in this pursuit, where Nabonidus did not. Still, I hope you find the story of Nabonidus an intriguing one, and thanks for watching this video. video, 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 video.